For the ANA Center for Brand Purpose podcast, I'm Ken Bollier. Millennials, they're lazy, demanding, entitled, and change jobs too often, or so we're told. Whether these views are deserved or not, this much is true. Millennials love to work for companies that feel their sense of purpose and make them feel important. Joining me today from Kansas City to discuss the role purpose plays in the lives of millennials is Jeff Fromm, president of the marketing firm Futurecast. He's the self-described millennial marketing guy, having written two highly acclaimed books on the generation and specializing in millennial trends. He's currently writing a series of articles for Forbes and a new book focused on brand purpose. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, I have to ask right off the top, do millennials get a bad rap? Well, I think yes. There are a lot of myths about millennials. The notion that all millennials are broke, they're unemployed, they're living in their parents' basements among a collection of participation trophies that they've never freaking earned, is not only untrue, it's just a terrible way to think about winning over employees and consumers who are your future. And if we were to look even one level deeper, we know that one in four stay-at-home parents is now a dad. Why? Because millennial women are now some of the primary breadwinners of today. And the fastest growing cohort of people who make over $100,000 are millennial women over the age of 30 who live in urban markets. So it's important to separate myth from fact. So Jeff, as I mentioned at the top, studies show that millennials embrace purpose-led organizations. They want to work for them. They want to buy from them. What do you see as the factors contributing to these attitudes? Well, there's no one strategy that's right for every company. Um, my thesis is that the three primary mass brand winners in Tomorrowland are going to be low-cost operators, network operators, and purpose-driven innovators. And the reason I think purpose-driven innovators will win is they're going to have an unfair advantage. They're going to get an advantage on their financials that aligns to things that are important to employees and consumers who create word-of-mouth and word-of-mouth on behalf of the brand. I'd be happy to give you a couple of examples if that's helpful. So let me, let me share several examples. The first I'll use is Mod Pizza. Now, almost every restaurant faces a challenge around attracting labor, retaining labor, mm -hmm. training labor, right? The frontline employees at restaurant brands are the first impression many people get of the brand. I've never met the CEO of McDonald's, Chipotle, or any mm -hmm. number of brands that I use, but I've met the people who work for the brand. Mod Pizza put their purpose and their profit in harmony. How? They hire people who need a second chance. Their brand is about second chances, which means maybe you went to prison, maybe you had a problem in your past. They're going to screen out bad actors and hire people who deserve a second chance. And in do doing that, not only do they create a purpose for their brand, they attack an issue that's a financial issue, right? Because that impacts employee engagement, which impacts guest satisfaction. There are all kinds of impacts from this to the brand. So they have great alignment between their purpose and their profit. That, that's why I use the term the purpose-profit loop. love to give you another example. Seventh generation. Seventh generation is a CPG brand. They're about 
enviro-friendly cleaning solutions. And what do they do with their brand? They help the consumer feel better about themselves when using cleaning products. The consumer does not write a check to an environmental organization. Seventh Generation takes those action on, actions on behalf of a consumer who wants a plant-based cleaning product that's safe, that's effective when it comes to cleaning, and the organization gets a benefit because they get a consumer who's going to have a higher frequency of use and a little bit of price elasticity. And brand love is ultimately about frequency of use and price mm -hmm. elasticity. So their purpose-profit loop is in harmony again because their purpose aligns to things that are important to consumers and employees mm -hmm. of this brand. First example is a restaurant brand. Second example is a CPG brand. The point is they understand their brand authority and they understand they can meet a consumer need state and impact their financials. We, what we don't want is the financials to fight with it because then the purpose is less sustainable mm -hmm. and the actions the brand's going to take are going to be less consistent. Sure. So, Jeff, in general terms, how do you... How do younger generations define purpose? Is it about respecting the planet, making the world a better place, equality, or do you feel it runs deeper than that? Well, I think that it varies by category and by brand. So um, what I think is important to under understand is what's your brand authority on a topic that's important to all the key constituencies and stakeholders. Um, it could be everything from a social justice issue to environmental issue, to uh, any number of topics. I mean, the, the range of topics is very dramatic. Uh, Tony's Chocoloni, a European chocolate company, uh, is tackling the issue of slavery in the chocolate picking trade, if you will, uh, among growers in West Africa. Could have been an issue tackled by any number of chocolate companies. Tony's tackled it. Um, so it, it's that's that's a social justice kind of issue, but. You know, Nike's long been a brand about tackling issues of social justice, empowering female athletes, empowering Paralympians, and now empowering the topic of equality, which is a very big topic mm -hmm. to Gen Z, which we extensively wrote about in the book Marketing to Gen Z. So I read a great quote from former Unilever CEO Paul Pullman, who said, if you're not a desired employer brand, or your employees are unhappy and your innovations aren't relevant, you won't make it. Is this pretty much in line with what your search, what your research is telling you about millennials? Well, I think that it's fundamentally accurate that it's hard to be a loved consumer brand if you aren't a loved employer. It's, it's tricky, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that means in many companies you have to create a culture of innovation and a culture of acceptance where people feel like they're in the know, that they're included. And this is challenging because we're in a market today where the available supply of labor is very tight. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's fundamentally accurate that it is hard and likely not sustainable. It's exacerbated by the fact that consumers have unparalleled transparency. So if I say something about a brand and then as a brand, I say, this is true about my brand. And then a consumer can go to Glassdoor and read that their friends were fired unfairly or, you know, this company doesn't treat their employees well. Their, people have access to so much information from a modern-day Swiss Army knife that we've called a phone when no millennial is ever calling you back. Mm -hmm. So 
you have this fundamental shift, both in terms of the level of unemployment being so low and the access to information being so high that it is pretty important today to have a high-performing culture in order to create consumer brand. Mm -hmm. So what do you feel are some of the core values that millennials are expect from their employers today? So that's where some of the myths come in. I mean, they expect good pay. They expect good benefits. That's not enough to win. They also expect work-life balance. They expect transparency. They expect inclusivity. They expect fairness. They expect things that a command and control culture that was historically successful will usually fail to deliver. Mm -hmm. So this is challenging for large brands because most large brands grew up in an era where they heated, beaded, and treated their products. They had a command and control culture, and they had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. That will be much harder in Tomorrowland. Sure. And that is inconsistent with some of the things the highest performing brands are going to do in order to make sure they have the most talented people who could choose to work anywhere for that salary with those benefits mm -hmm. because there's often convergence and parity on salary and benefits. Right. Do you, do you feel that um, the work-life balance is perhaps the key core value? It's one of many core values. Um, it's certainly uh, something where a company will usually pay a big penalty if that doesn't exist. But if that exists and there isn't transparency, if that exists and there isn't inclusivity, if that exists and there isn't fairness, etc., then you probably still will not have the kind of success that you want. It's complicated to win in a world where the best brands want the best talent. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, I think it's very important, but I think it's going to take more than just that. Sure. So given these expectations, what role do you feel millennials should play in elevating the conversation around purpose within the workplace? Uh, the, the conversation around purpose is probably in, in part a reflection of company having a clear vision. And many companies, uh, especially public companies, have an intense focus on quarterly earnings. And over time, uh, the conversation is evolving, um, especially with the BlackRock letter, if you will, of January, which mm -hmm. talks about the purpose profit, profit loop, which suggests that it's not enough just to make a profit, but also to, to add good to society. So I think if I were the CEO of one of those companies, I would want to tap into employees, not just millennials, but across generations to understand their values. I'd want to tap into consumers to understand their values. And if I had a really strong brand, I'd want to understand what my opportunities were, and I'd want to use a variety of different processes to understand those proper opportunities. So, you know, if I was a super high-performing brand, I might do a deprivation study with consumers and ask them what it's like if they don't get to use my brand to learn and understand mm -hmm. the tensions that my brand might be able to go address. Um, but the employees should be absolutely part of the process, just like the consumer should be part of the process. What you're looking for is sort of harmony between all stakeholders and then aligning that back to the financials. What is the alignment sure. of the financials? And, and the examples I gave with Mod Pizza and Seventh Generation, these are examples that you know pretty much any brand should be able to understand how they made it align back to their financial docs.
I, I assume these conversations should also start from the top, correct? I think it needs to include top leadership because it's part of the core strategy of the company. Um, if this is the marketing campaign du jour, today's employees and consumers will see it as such, and a brand will probably get a penalty for that. In fact, we've seen several large brands penalized recently, and I think the reason they got penalized wasn't that they didn't have the right strategy, in fact. Uh, I would say what they did is they started advertising and communicating the strategy ahead of brand action and brand proof. So where where consumers and employees sort of gain traction or lose traction is in the company's ability not only to set the strategy, but then to start to take some actions and start to offer some proof ahead of starting to communicate uh, around it. If you get too <laughs> aggressive on the advertising and communication before you layered in enough action and proof, you can be seen as a phony. Do you feel that millennials uh, expect brands to take a political position or a public stance on, you know? Uh, I think it's entirely appropriate for some brands and entirely inappropriate for others, depending on the brand's history and legacy and mm -hmm. focus. Uh, so that is not a simple yes or no. I think it depends on your brand. For Nike, it feels incredibly appropriate, and for a brand like maybe Hallmark or something, it feels like it would be pretty disingenuous because it's not part of their history. Mm -hmm. So if you were to take a political position, though, how do you go about it without damaging the brand? So I think if, if that's part of your brand DNA, what you want to do is understand what's important to employees and consumers of that brand and then offer constructive action and proof the challenge so many brands face is they want to build trust. And, and to build trust, you do that through brand action. So I can't say through advertising, you should trust me. That will not usually be a very effective way to do it. What I have to do is take actions, and then I can use communications and advertising to amplify after I've taken those actions. The key part is the sequencing of this. And, um, and getting it right is to, you know, make some reasonable progress before you start to communicate all the great things you've done, as opposed to communicating a great strategy without showing, demonstrating, if you will, proof that you've moved towards something. You don't have to have finished everything to start advertising and communicating. You have to have started down the road and taken some reasonable, significant steps. And then you can, sure. for a large brand, that could take five or 10 years, right? We're going to do these things. And so we take these actions today and then we start communicating. Then we take more actions and we communicate more. And that sequencing needs to be right so that you don't get out ahead of things. That's where brands can get tripped out, tripped up, if you will. Sorry, and just, uh, you know, being a little too aggressive on the communication too soon. Sure. Well, staying on uh, with communicating, uh, what, brand should, what should brands keep in mind when marketing purpose activities to younger generations? Well, um, I think when it comes to marketing, ideally you start with a core group of like-minded users who already have a ton of passion for the topic. And you look for opportunities for those existing brand fans to amplify. Who are the 5% of users who absolutely love the brand, who are already topic active, who could help carry the water, carry the message to other folks. I think as you start to build momentum, 
you then try to bring in others to that process. And often what you do is try to build in some discovery where you build in some spontaneity and then people discover, oh, I didn't know this brand did X. I didn't realize why, et cetera. And then that creates some brand energy. And I think Forrester's done a nice job of outlining that concept of brand energy. And so purpose is one of the ways that a brand can create energy. If a brand has awareness, that doesn't mean they're going to have success if they don't have enough positive energy. I can have high awareness and not have high energy. The key is to have both high awareness and high energy if I'm a large brand. Sure. So you mentioned to me that you're in the process of writing a book on brand purpose. That's, that's terrific. Do you care to share a few highlights? I'd love to. So the, the first three books we wrote were about millennials and Gen Z. And in the course of doing a lot of that research, the topic of purpose came up. Um, and this book is on the purpose profit loop. And what we're looking at is mature brands and connecting their purpose to the profit, because if you don't, you're going to have challenges. So obviously one of the first brands that got a lot of credit for purpose was Tom's Shoes, and they used a one-for-one -one model. And I think a lot of people are familiar with Tom's. The one-for-one -one model is a great idea for a first mover, but it's probably the wrong idea for most large mature brands, because it's not sustainable and it's not going to work for most larger mature brands. So in the course of looking at other brands and working with our existing clients, what we said is, you know, how do we make sure that when we look at purpose through the lens of consumers, through the lens of employees, that we also look at how it fits to the financial statement? Are there untapped treasures a brand has that would be something that could be leveraged? And if there are, then how do we make this whole ecosystem work well together? Because if it does, then it's real easy. Seventh generation has a huge brand advantage because when they're taking action in favor of the environment, they're giving back to a consumer who cares. So that consumer never wrote a check to the environment, but they felt like they contributed to the environment by using the brand and using the product. So it's not easy because mature brands have a lot of equity and success and profit in their existing schemas and their existing models. What we're looking to do is find opportunity to drive more preference and more passion with consumers and employees by evolving those models in a way that brings tighter alignment. So could I make the leap saying that being purposeful drives growth? If the purpose connects well to the profit and there's strong, the answer is yes, as long as other things are there. Is, you know, if you don't have the right distribution model or the right pricing model or the right quality, then it won't make up for it. But if you have a great brand in terms of quality, you have a great brand in terms of distribution, and you have the right pricing strategy, purpose can be a big differentiator. So we've seen this tremendous rush by brands and companies to be more purposeful. Do you feel that this is a fad or a serious trend? In other words, have we reached an inflection point in your mind? I think we're at the very bottom of the curve. <laughs> Uh, we're in, mm -hmm. you know, inter Internet 1.0 days. Uh, I think we'll see more and more brands realize that I'm not going to sustain a quality price or distribution advantage. So I'm not going to be a low cost operator. Um, and the network operator model requires a lot of change for a mature brand to compete with an Airbnb, Amazon and Uber. I have to give up a lot of equity in a supply chain probably. So 
the purpose-driven innovator to me is the most likely road for more of the large brands than any other path because it allows me to build brand energy uh, back to that Forrester model and it allows me to build brand preference and brand energy and brand preference yield price elasticity and frequency of use advantages the challenge for the large brand is to make sure that purpose is well connected we're going to give x percent of our profits to y is not a highly connected purpose profit loop a highly connected purpose profit loop is far more tightly fit than that uh, and so that's challenging and cause marketing and corporate social responsibility i think are going to evolve to be a lot more uh, tightly fit around this new schema well jeff unfortunately we're out of time i want to thank you so much for joining me today on the ana center for brand purpose podcast well thanks for having me and if anyone would like to get in touch uh, feel free to drop me a note i'm jfrom j-f-r-o-m-m at barclayus.com terrific thanks again jeff and until next time peace out yeah.